As we read today's scripture passage, I'll be reading from 2 Timothy 1, 8 to 14. You can follow along there in your worship folder. Hear God's word to us. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is God's word. You may sit down. Well, today we have the great privilege of hearing from Pastor Jeff Brewer who's a pastor of our most recent church plant, Hope Fellowship in Lombard. They meet over there in Glenbard East, and he's married with four kids, and we're excited to have you come up and share with us. Let's have a warm college church welcome for Jeff. Well, it is good to be back. Again, my name is Jeff Brewer, and I'm one of the pastors over at Hope Fellowship Uh, We've been going for six years now. We were planted by College Church. I was hired here about eight years ago. I was on pastoral staff, and we love College Church. We love our continued partnership with College Church, both in global missions, thinking about how we can send out those to the ends of the earth, to the least reached peoples, men and women like Josh and Christy Anderson, who you know who have been sent to East Asia uh, and also were sent by Hope Fellowship Also, how we can partner together here in DuPage County to see the gospel go forward. And so, um, we are so thankful for you. We're thankful for your investment in our lives, both to help start Hope Fellowship and for your ongoing prayers. And so, Jen and I, uh, we're loving life. We have four daughters, and uh, we are enjoying life uh, together here. We live over in Villa Park, and our church meets at Glenbard East. And so, it's good to be here. Well, we're going to look at God's Word, but before we do, let me pray. We'll jump into Second Timothy. Let's pray together. Father, again, it is good to gather together around your Word by the power of your Spirit so that we might grow in our faith, so that we might stand firm, so that we might be encouraged and spurred on. Father, I pray that you would help us to be confident people, trusting in our great Savior. Lord, help us to grow this morning, we pray. May you get the glory, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In whose name we pray, amen. Well, if you had to give a commencement address at a local high school or next door at Wheaton College, what would you do to inspire confidence for the graduating class as they walked through those doors of that esteemed institution one final time. 
Well, you could do what Will Farrell did when he gave the speech at USC. Evidently, true to his Buddy the Elf character, he tried to instill confidence in the graduating class of 2017 by singing. First, and I'm not sure why or how he even did this, but he sang the Star Trek theme. And then, there are no words to that, you know. And then he ended with, I will always love you by Whitney Houston. And he even sang the high part, or tried. So if you want to instill confidence, you could take the route that J.K. Rowling took when she spoke at Harvard's graduation by speaking about failure. And she said this, she said, It's impossible to live without failing at something, unless you live so cautiously that you might not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. Failure gave me an inner security that I had never attained by passing examinations. Failure taught me things about myself that I could have learned no other way. Well, if the Apostle Paul was giving a commencement address, 2 Timothy is probably pretty indicative of what Paul would say. It's his farewell letter to Timothy, where he's passing the torch to him because he recognizes that his own time is drawing to a close. And as Paul writes this letter to Timothy, he understands the situation that Timothy is in and that he's facing some great pressures as he ministers in Ephesus. False teachers, suffering, discouragement, they're all knocking on Timothy's door. So Paul's aim in this short letter is for Timothy to be full of faith and not fear as he continues in ministry. In a word, Paul wants Timothy to be confident, but not confident for confidence's sake or confident in himself or even confident in his preparation by Paul. Paul seeks to remind Timothy to be confident because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. That the gospel should inspire inspire true confidence that will carry him through all of the trials that he will face and he'll be able to preach the word in season and out of season, as Paul calls him to at the end of the letter. Now, none of us here today were facing the exact same suffering that Timothy faced in those days in pastoral ministry in Ephesus. But we all do face suffering of various kinds. We all face, to some degree, the temptation to be ashamed of the gospel in our workplaces, our schools, ashamed of being just the opposite of confidence. And so we all need help in finding a confidence, a greater confidence, in a knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. In short, we all need to be more gospel confident. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to link these two words, the gospel and confidence. And my aim for each of us is that we would see exactly how the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is, how that should be building true confidence. Because look, isn't it right? We, we all would know, if you're a Christian here, you would know I should be confident in Jesus. I shouldn't be ashamed in certain situations. But when we find ourselves in those situations, or we find ourselves lacking confidence, we might not know how do I get there. Well, that's my aim that we see from 2 Timothy chapter 1, how we might get there. So let me explain where we're going to go this morning. 
First, what I want us to do is I want us to see the big picture about what Paul is trying to explain in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and how that, how that sets the tone for the entire letter. So kind of what's happening, what's Paul arguing in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And then I want us to dig a little bit deeper into why it is Paul is saying the gospel should produce confidence. Why the gospel produces confidence. And then I want to end with, by applying it in the two ways that Paul applies it, how we, might, how we might follow after and how we might guard this great treasure, the gospel. So let's, let's dig in. Let's see here first. What's chapter 1? You might not have been or read 2 Timothy in a while. And if you look back, if you have your Bibles open, I invite you to look at verse 6. Verses 6 and 7 are some of these verses that are probably well known to you if you've been a Christian for a while. Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And then this well-known verse that we probably quote quite often when we're fearful. Verse 7, For God gave us not a, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You know, all of us face different temptations. All of us have different temperaments that make us somewhat predisposed to struggle in various ways. And for Timothy, it seemed that he struggled with being fearful or timid. If you remember at the end of 1 Corinthians in chapter 16, Paul writes, If Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while he is with you. Another way of translating that is, put him at ease. Paul knows Timothy, he knows him well, and he knows the difficulties he faces from without in in Ephesus and those who are opposing the gospel, but also from within, from the false teachers. As Paul will go on to say in the letter here, these people are swerving from the truth, the false teachers are. They're always learning, but never coming to a knowledge. They're loving the present world. So after Paul reminds Timothy of the opening verses to fan into flame this gift and to not have a spirit of fear but of power and love and self-control, he then turns in verse 8 and he says this. He commands Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord nor of me his prisoner. Now look down to verse 12. Paul says this about himself, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Now we need to take notice of that. He's calling Paul and Timothy not to be ashamed, and then he himself says, I'm not ashamed. Why? For I know whom I have believed. What he believes, he believes Jesus. That's the whom he's speaking of. And what he believes about Jesus, he talks about in verses 9 and 10. He kind of unpacks what is the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. He says this, He saved us because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then verse 10, going on, Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so the grounding then, what Paul is wanting to kind of lay out right here at the beginning of the letter is, the grounding for Timothy to be confident and not ashamed about the testimony of Christ or even of Paul being in chains for preaching the gospel, it's not to be confident in himself. It's not even to be confident in Paul's great example. 
but that the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection would serve as his confidence. Paul knows whom he has believed, and he's reminding Timothy he needs to know him as well. So he's saying, essentially, Timothy, be confident. The way to be confident, remember Jesus. Remember who he is. Remember what he has done. That's really the big picture of what Paul is making sure that Timothy understands here in this chapter, and it carries throughout the entirety of the book. Don't be given to a spirit of fear, Timothy, but have a great confidence in Christ and have this knowledge of who Jesus is, have this cause you to live boldly and do what God is calling you to do in ministry. So that's the big picture. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper into why the gospel instills confidence. Again, we all know what's the answer. Well, the answer is, is Jesus. Why? Why should Jesus, why does the good news of Jesus, why does that bring confidence? So with, look back with me again at verse 9. What Paul tells us here is, it's the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So Paul says, he saved us and called us to a holy calling. Paul's speaking broadly of the whole of God's activity in salvation here. Typically, when we think about calling, I would guess we're thinking about calling in terms of what God wants me to do in terms of vocation. But I don't think that's the calling, the holy calling that he's talking about to Timothy here. It's not his calling into ministry that somehow this is more holy than other people's callings, but that Timothy, like Paul and like all believers, that they're called to live a holy life. We're saved by God, and all of us as Christians are called to li- by God to live in holiness, which is where he goes in chapter 2 when he's telling Timothy to flee youthful passions, to pursue Christ in how we live. But if you notice, verse 9, he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Look, God isn't like an owner of an NFL team, to which we think about the owners of the Bears and we think, amen. He's not like the owner of of an NFL team who's just looking for good draft prospects. He's not looking for people with raw talent that he can mold. God's not sitting up in heaven thinking, I just need some standout stars on my team. And if only I could get them, wow, then would I be successful in this gospel going forward. What Paul's reminding us here and what Paul's reminding Timothy of He didn't choose anyone based on their works, either in the past or in the future of what they would do for him. God didn't save you because he thought you would be useful to him. You're useful to him because he saved you. But why do we have, why would God choose to reveal himself to anyone? If it's not because of our works, if it's not by anything that we've done, why would he do this? Look at the end of verse 9 but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God did it for his own purposes. 
all by grace he planned to give us in Christ before the ages began. Look, God didn't plan your salvation when you started to show some promise or when you started to clean yourself up a little bit. You know, you might be here and you might be investigating Christianity this morning. Maybe you were brought by a friend or you're home for the weekend, for the holiday weekend, and you came with your family. And as you look around, you might say to yourself, these people seem to have it all together. God must love them because they, cl- they clean themselves up enough for him to love them. They're pretty put-together people. But what we have to say according to this passage and according to other passages like Ephesians chapter 2, not true. God did it for his own purposes. We could say for his glory and by grace, which means that no one is here by their own goodness or effort. Really, what all of us should have on our tombstones at the end of our lives is ABG, all by grace. It's not what we did. It's not what we will do. It's all by his grace. And he chose to do it for his own purposes because he desired to make beautiful things through your salvation, through you in Christ. You know, I recently watched an, Ameri- an episode of American Pickers. I like that show. You don't need to judge me quite yet. But uh, they, were, uh, they were at a, uh, I would say an ex-hippie's house in San Francisco, but I think he was still full-on a, a hippie. And he had lived there for years. And um, most of the guys, if you've watched the show, they, they visit people that, and they want to collect or they want to pick things that have some value. And the, the people they're going to their house of, normally those people know the value of the things they have. But as they went to this man's house in San Francisco and they started to look around, it was very eclectic. And as they talked to him, they began to hear, and tell, hear him say that he didn't care about the value of the items. He didn't care. He only picked up things or he only bought things that he liked, the things that brought him joy, things that had some sort of artistic value to him. And throughout the course of the episode, it's fascinating because one of the guys, they lean over and they pick up a National Geographic. And here's one of these guys, this guy's pieces of art on the front of, the National, Ge- of National Geographic. They go a little bit further and a little bit later, they come to, they come to know that um, one of his pieces is on permanent display in the Smithsonian. He was renowned because he made beauty from ordinary objects things that brought him pleasure, and he made those things. That's exactly what God does with us. He takes people who he created in his image, but people who have sinned against him, rebelled against him, and who are running from him, and he forgives them. He gives them Jesus so they might know, so that we might know Jesus And we might have forgiveness and we might have the beauty of holiness beginning to be displayed in our lives because of being in Christ. He beautifies us in Jesus for his own purpose. And so in that way, he's adorning you with holiness in order to glorify him for his own purpose because it brings him joy, brings him delight. What this is really is it's the exclamation point on the proof that we had nothing to do with our salvation. Look, we can't make ourselves beautiful enough because of our sin. But God can come to us. 
God the Son took on flesh so that he might become man, so that he might die on the cross on our behalf. And if you notice, look at when. Here's the exclamation point. When did God decide to do these things for you? Before the ages began. This isn't just here. Paul writes something similar in Titus 1-2. He says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, he promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word. So why did God do it? Because of his own purpose and grace. When did he manifest this? When did he decide to purpose or purpose to do this? Before the ages began. God's purpose was to show you grace. But not only was it planned and promised before the ages began, it came to pass and has been accomplished. Look with me at verse 10. And which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. So salvation promised before creation and salvation accomplished in Christ. Salvation appears made manifest in Jesus. Now, how did Jesus accomplish salvation? Verse 10 again. He abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Hebrews 2.14 tells us how did he abolish death. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. So Jesus abolished death by abolishing the cause of death and triumphing over the devil. And the death he's speaking of there is a, is a spiritual death, a spiritual separation from God. And the reason is, is because the next word, the positive trait he gives, is immortality. You know, look, cancer research... Their goal is a right goal to cure cancer. But researchers can't abolish death by abolishing cancer. They're just abolishing one form of death. Jesus abolished death. Jesus abolished death through his death and through his resurrection. By taking our sin upon himself and taking the payment that we deserved, we now can have life with him through faith Life that we have because we're risen with him, positionally with him in Christ. So look, eventually, death itself will die. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain when Christ returns. That's the immortality he's speaking of when he writes here. That life is coming, a life that will never end. And if you have life in Jesus, that life has already begun. At the resurrection, what Jesus did is he flung wide the door of heaven and life and immortality came to light because he rose from the dead. That's what Paul is wanting to remind Timothy of here. That's the gospel. That's the confidence. You want to have confidence in the face of the fear of death? You have confidence only in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2 says that, that everyone, that because of the fear of death, people are in lifelong slavery. Is that you this morning? Because of the fear of death, 
the fear of you don't know what's coming afterwards because you don't have life and immortality. It's not come to light for you. And so you are, when you really think about it and stop, you're just racked with fear. You can have confidence that your sins are forgiven. You can have confidence by turning to Jesus that you can know him and know him for all eternity. So let's, let's recap the, the glory of the gospel Paul's talking about here. God promised before the ages began to save you. And he accomplished it and he revealed himself when Christ came and he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. And so what Paul's saying here is he can suffer as he does as a preacher and as an apostle and as a teacher because he knows whom he has believed. I know Jesus, Timothy. You know Jesus. Jesus is our confidence. Now, how do we build this confidence? How do we seek to grow in this confidence so that we have an unshakable faith? Well, look at where Paul turns here at the end in verses 13 and 14. He, he gives us two things. We're spend just a little bit of time on both of these, not very much at all. He, he says, verses 13, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 14, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So we could summarize those two things with two words. Follow and guard, or protect. Follow and guard. So look back again at verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, when you first read that sentence, it kind of probably sounds strange to your ears as it did to mine because it doesn't seem to quite work. When, when we think about patterns, a command to follow a pattern, we're usually thinking about using our eyes to follow the pattern, watching or looking at something. But Paul here, he links follow the pattern with the sound words that you've heard from me. Now, just to kind of unpack this a little bit, if we were looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes there in chapter 1 of, of, of 1 Timothy that he is the chief, he himself, he's the chief of sinners. And then he says, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as, an, as the foremost... Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The word example there is the same word for pattern here in our translation. In 1 Timothy, it's Jesus displaying his perfect patience in Paul by making him an example. Even as the foremost, he's not beyond God's grace. But here... He's not pointing to his life as an example, but he's pointing to his words as what we're to follow. His point isn't that he's been changed, but we understand how he's been changed. And how is it that Paul has been changed? By the word of God, enabled by the Spirit. Paul's words are here are to follow the example of the word of Christ, the pattern of the sound words as he carries forth the gospel. If we look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul wrote, 
If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The the sound words, another way to translate it would be the healthy words, the healthy doctrine The sound words that Paul is calling him to follow, it's the gospel. At least that's how I take the the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus, how he displayed that faith and that love. In that way, Jesus is the content of all sound doctrine. He defines whether doctrine is sound or not. And so if someone is teaching truth that's supposedly Christian, as these false teachers were doing in Ephesus— But they're not referencing Jesus. They're not referencing the cross. They're not including suffering or they're even ashamed of suffering. There's nothing specifically Christian about it. Here's what I want us to see. When you think about following Jesus, you you have to be thinking in terms of following the word. You need to be thinking in terms of, I need God's word for life and for godliness in order to live you know, I think there's a, there's a danger that we're facing here, at least in American kind of evangelicalism or, or Christianity at large, where we're, we're turning away from the word much to our harm. Almost, and you kind of almost listen to people, and, and how do they grow in their faith? It's almost like as if people are given these little antenna when they become a Christian and they just kind of hear from God somehow randomly. What Paul's wanting Timothy to remember is follow the pattern of the sound words that are in Christ Jesus. Turn to the word. Help people, he's saying to Timothy, help people to follow Jesus by following the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me. Give them the word, Timothy. He'll say at the end of 2 Timothy, preach the word. Preach it in season when people want to hear. Preach, preach it out of season when they want nothing to do with it. Gospel-confident people are word people. You want to grow in confidence? We follow the pattern of the sound words. We can't turn away from God's word. The solution, the need to fight against fear, is to find our hope in Christ that we find in the word. Now, that's where we spent most of our time here. Let me just briefly say, or let's look at the the second command he gives. Guard the good deposit. Look at verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, if you look back at verse 12, Paul is is saying there, but I'm not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what's entrusted to me. So he's telling Timothy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, guard the good deposit. But he's just written, I'm, I'm confident that he's able to guard. So, which is it? Are we guarding or is he guarding? The answer is yes. We're guarding by the power of the Holy Spirit, by God's power, that we're keeping this treasure of the gospel secure. In a sense, it's like those little cards that you get that say, treat this like cash. Timothy, Paul's wanting to remind Timothy, look, the gospel here, it's valuable. And what we value, what we treasure, we value. And what we value, we guard. We keep it safe. So keep this gospel safe. 
Don't let anybody, don't let these false teachers, don't let anybody kind of say, well, really Christianity is all about something else. And they begin to move away from the cross. They begin to move away from Jesus. They begin to move away from the essential nature of the resurrection, which gives us hope and confidence. And so in order to guard the gospel, we have to continually remind ourselves of its value. The value of the gospel, of the truth of Jesus, is that it gives us a hope that can't be erased. Look, when do, you, when do we recognize this most fully? I would argue it's when you hear people say things like this at a funeral. I don't know what I would do without Jesus right now. I don't know where I would turn without Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you hear them and you say, yes, that is our confidence. Because without Jesus, and in the midst of this tragedy, we have nothing. Is Jesus your confidence such that everything could be taken away and you would still say, I have all because I still have Christ. He is my confidence. In this life, we never graduate as a Christian. In fact, if you're like me, the more you get to know yourself, likely the more aware you are, as I am, of how far short we fall, how much we never arrive. In some ways, we still struggle and stumble in many ways. You know, our fears, they likely will not end. They'll morph, they'll change into fears of different things, losing other things, other people. Although those fears might not end, we have a confidence in Christ that is far greater that comes from what Jesus has done for us. That no matter what comes, no matter what the sufferings or trials or difficulties that we face or the opposition, we have a confidence that will not fail in Jesus. May we follow the sound words of Jesus. May we guard this treasure of the gospel so that we might stand firm in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you guard us, you protect us, you've given us strength through the power of the Spirit dwelling within us to guard this good deposit. And so, Father, I pray that you would enable all of us, all of us who are listening to your word this morning, who are in Christ, that we would be treasuring the gospel more and that we would be protecting it in our hearts and storing up words about you so that we might be confident people, gospel-confident people, knowing that we can walk through whatever you call us to in this week, knowing it's all by grace. You are doing mighty things. Our trust and our hope is in you. May you get the glory, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.